In today's show, I'm going to be covering the best players who have changed teams so far in the NBA offseason. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast as Obi tries to leave. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at basketballmonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at redrock underscore Beeble, on TikTok at redrock underscore Beeble, and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free. We are available on all platforms. On yesterday's show, at the start, I talked about my plans for the coming week because um, by the time you listen to this, I am one day away from heading away. So I talk about, you know, TikTok and YouTube Shorts, so we'll do some recaps on Summer League there. I am recording this show on the 2nd of July at about 10 p.m. Eastern. So there might be moves that have happened by the time this gets released that aren't included here, but I think this is just a nice sort of show that I can get some stuff out in advance that, that makes a little bit of sense. And what this show isn't, it's not me telling you who the best players are going to be for fantasy in the next season because I haven't sat down and done all the projections on that to give you that idea. What this is telling you is the best players from last year, which ones changed teams? Who are the best players from fantasy last year that changed teams? Is their stock up? Is their stock stock down? Looking at the top seven players that have changed teams, as well as, I think, another seven players or so who are probably going to change teams. And you know, I can't tell you if their stock is up or down because it hasn't happened yet. But that's what we're doing here on this show is going through the best players from last season who have changed teams. And in saying all of that, let's get into the guys that we don't know about yet before you ask that question. Michael Bolton. Not Michael Bolton. Warning. Sorry. Let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> all right. I've got six names here that were top 120 fantasy players last season that are either likely to move or are unresolved free agents. If I was doing this list and I knew that Damian Lillard had been moved, he would be the best fantasy player to change teams. And if he ends up in Miami, then his fantasy stock will definitely be down. He will have an impact on the other guys on that team as well, in Jim Butler and Bam Adebayo. But because I don't know who is moving and coming back and who's going where or where Lillard's going or anything, it's very hard to know that. But he would be... I had a list. I created a list of 13 players for this um, uh, for this uh, exercise, and they're all top 120 guys. I think they were, yeah, they're all top 120 guys. Let me double-check that. The last player on that list, was he top 120? He was, yes, top 120 players. They're all top 120 players. There was 13 players who I th- well, either have changed teams or could change teams. Lillard would have been number one, but I don't know where he's going. The James Harden situation remains unresolved. Harden would have been number two on this list. And I would expect, like Lillard, that if he does change teams and move to, say, with the favorites with the Clippers, and I don't really know how that's going to work with Russell Westbrook there. Okay, that's a little weird. But anyway, um, his value would go down playing alongside Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. It would impact George quite a bit as well. Harden would probably have double-digit assists again and lead the league in that number. 
but his overall usage would probably take somewhat of a hit. It wouldn't be that big, and he might actually remain higher than what his hit might be smaller than what Lillard's is. But it's dependent on where Harden goes. But I don't really see a scenario where Harden's value jumps significantly. If he had have gone to Houston, probably, but he didn't. So Harden, it would have been second on that list. There's, I don't know about Tyler Hero. Everyone has a hero. True. Zero people shouldn't have a hero. Tyler Hero was, or would have been seventh in my group of 13 players in terms of where they ranked. And I am starting to transition more into talking minus one overall ranks. He would have been seventh on that list. Um, he might not get traded. But there's a lot of talk of him being a part of this deal that could bring Damian Lillard to Miami. I don't think he would end up in Portland. It doesn't make any sense for him to go to Portland. But there's talk he might go to Brooklyn. He would definitely start in Brooklyn. And if he went to Brooklyn, playing alongside uh, Mikhail Bridges and yeah, Cam Johnson, I think his value probably rises. But I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know if Hero A moves or B where he moves. But he would be on this list as one of the best seven players that would change teams. And, yeah. But we don't know where he goes. The other guys wouldn't have been included in my best seven players from last year, but they are worthy just players to discuss. The Crucifix, Christian Wood. He would have been eighth on this list. I have no idea where he's going to go. And I feel really good about the fact that he's not going to play quite as much as he did last season. So I, I'm not sure that he's going to be draftable, but that still is obviously a gigantic question considering we don't know where he's going to end up. PJ Washington Jr. was 11th on my list with the returning of Miles Bridges, the uh, drafting of Brandon Miller. You would have to think that Washington's minutes upside is nowhere near where it was last season. So even as a restricted guy, he probably the odds would suggest he is back in Charlotte. And then if that's the case, then his value plummets. It's way down. He's probably not draftable. Maybe he goes to another team. I don't know how the mechanics work. If somehow he gets folded in to get to Miami to be their starting power forward, I actually like that for him. But he is—he uh, was one of the top 11 players that probably can change teams, but he also might not. And then the other guy whose destination is unresolved, who was a top 120 player last season, that was Kelly Oubre Jr., Washington's teammate in Charlotte. He would have been the last player on this list. he I don't know where he's going to go. And I would say almost unreservedly that he will be worse than he was last season. I don't see what team is allowing him to be the number one option scoring 20 points per game and playing 30 minutes a night. Um, who's signing him to do that? Where's he even going in general? He's probably just going to be a 25 to 28 minute a night bench player, but I don't know. So they're the guys that could have been considered for this list. I guess Wood, Washington, and Ubre wouldn't have been because they were down the bottom, but they were just in this group. And I just wanted to look at all the guys from that top 120 13 of them who have the likelihood to change teams. Now, there might be someone else that comes in in a random trade, like a Zach Levine, perhaps, or do they move DeMar DeRozan? Like those sort of players, they could end up on a new team. And that, that that's just something that's sort of completely out of the blue, if that's what ends up happening. But these are, now, we'll get into the top seven players from fantasy last season who changed teams. But before I do that, today's episode is brought to you by Better Help. Better Help, we know that in life we're faced with tough choices. And the path forward, it isn't always clear. 
you might be thinking, what do I do with work? What do I do with this relationship? What do I do with a parenting decision dealing with schools or discipline or family members? There's so many things that can happen in life and we don't always have the answers. No one always has the answers. That's where therapy can help. Whether you're dealing with decisions around career, relationships or anything else, therapy helps you stay connected to what you really want while you navigate life so you can move forward with confidence and excitement. Trusting yourself to make decisions that align with your values is like anything. The more you practice it, the more or the easier it gets. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge, which is really important. If you don't have rapport with your therapist, well, you're not going to get anything out of it. So BetterHelp enables you to just switch to someone who is better suited to you. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash locked on NBA today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H E L P dot com slash locked on NBA. That will bring us into the best player from last season who is now on a new team. And that player is. Porzingis. It is. Kristaps Porzingis, who had a really strong season. If you are watching this on YouTube, a few numbers up there. I've got the minus one rank which is basically, uh, do I call it minus one? I think I am, but it might be more accurate to call it best seven. It's just what how you would rank if you included the player's best seven fantasy categories. On a per-game basis, he was 19th in that. And in a total basis, I know that the hit on Porzingis has always been injuries. He was 22nd. And he also had fake injuries for the last week or so, the final six games, whatever, with the Wizards tanking. That number would have been higher. He averaged almost 42 and a half fantasy points, but... Again, if you are watching this on YouTube, you can see the big words at the top. Stock down. I should have created a stinger for this. Didn't. That's fine. Whatever. Um, there's no way I don't think that Porzingis, who was the number one guy in Washington for big chunks of the season, Beal was there at times, but Porzingis almost had a 30 usage. It's just not going to be the case in Boston. He will be at times the number two guy with Jalen Brown, but Tatum's the number one. So... He's not going to get the usage. He might not play the same minutes. His value is definitely dipping. And then while we have been assuaged, well, not we, some have been assuaged a little in terms of the injury risk. That's If you thought about Porzingis as an injury risk player before last season, surely one year where he didn't get hurt changes your mind. Now, you know how I feel about injuries and discussing that. But if you had that thought, I'm never touching him because he's always hurt. And then do you, you don't do a full, I would guess, I would hope, you don't do a full 180 on a bloke like that. Plus, the overall upside for him just from a per-game production standpoint has got to be lower in Boston. So I think his stock is down. He is still only 28. He moves from Washington to Boston. I think one of the other things we'll see on this show as well, and something I tweeted about last week, I think it was, talking about with the new CBA. Also, by the way, all of the people shitting on CJ McCollum, Grant Williams, how you guys have killed the NBA. What a disaster. You did all this to get back at the Warriors. It's all just going to be max contracts and minimum salaries. You've killed all the players. What have you done? That clearly hasn't taken place, yeah? Like that hasn't been a problem whatsoever. That was one person saying that. And then this is a snowball of memes rolling saying how badly they cooked the players and they killed them and there's no middle class in the NBA. And again, through free agency, I think it's pretty clear that's not the case. The players are getting paid. There's no situation like that where there isn't a middle middle class. Players are still getting money, and I don't. It, those concerns are garbage. I think. I think they're garbage, and I think that's been shown so far. Um, but what my back to my original point was that when I tweeted about this new CBA, 
I said, well, what I think it's going to do is it's going to end up making free agency a sort of dead event where the majority of players change teams through trades. Porzingis could have been a free agent, but he opted in and was traded. James Harden could have been a free agent, but he opted in and probably will be traded. Damian Lillard's not a free agent, but he's asking for a trade. And there's very few players, and even on this list, there's very few players who just were free agents and just exercised that right and said, I'm going to a new team. It just doesn't happen that much anymore. Teams will overpay players. They will sign them to contracts, retaining salary slots and ability to move guys through trades. Getting something is better for the players. And it's, or is it better for the players? It's better for the teams because you get something back if a player wants out versus Toronto where they get nothing. They got nothing for many of these uh, guys. Guys that leave. Free agency is just not... You think back to you know, Kawhi going to the Clippers. Think back to Durant going to the Warriors. I just think that sort of stuff, at least for the short-term future, is dead. We're not going to get the big names hitting free agency through liberalized extension rules, through um, trades, through whatever, opt-in and trades. It just seems it's more about extensions. It's more about renegotiations than free agency. Porzingis' stock is down, but he was the best player so far that has changed teams. The second guy is Fred Van Vliet, and he was really close to being the best player that changed teams. Now, he did move through traditional free agency. Goes from Toronto to Houston. He's 29. His stock is down. And let me explain that. Let me, let's go through, the, um, let's go through the, the fundamentals on him. He was 20th in minus one rank last season. He was 10th in minus one rank for totals. He averaged 40 fantasy points. Pretty good numbers. So why is his stock down? This is what I look at. He played 37 minutes a night per game last season, 36.8 to be exact, 38 the year before that. He didn't really play with high usage players. Look, Siakam's a sort of usage player. Scotty Barnes isn't a high usage player. OG Ananobi isn't a high usage player. Van Vliet's not a super high usage player either, but it wasn't like he was out there with chuckers. He wasn't. Like, Siakam led the team in usage. Cool. But part of the appeal of Van Vliet and Siakam and Ananobi to that degree is that their insane coach, Nick Nurse, would play them as many minutes as humanly possible. You would get big minutes out of these guys. Part of the other appeal is the scheme that Toronto would run defensively would really play into Fred Van Vliet's ability to generate steals. 1.8 steals per game, 1.7, 1.7, 1.9 the last four years. It's not to say that he can't generate steals in Houston. He might still be able to. But going from like 37, 38, 37 minutes the last three seasons, he had 22 usage. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that sticks. I don't think he's a big drop-off, but Jalen Green's a pretty high usage player. Dylan Brooks is not as high usage as you think he is, but he, he'll take some shots. Jabari Smith's going to get shots. Shingoon's there. Kevin Porter coming off the bench. It's not a clear... If Van Vliet is the best player on that team, very comfortable in saying that. But it's not a clear case where he comes in and gets to shoulder this gigantic offensive load. He will probably, I would guess, stick at a similar usage. It might go up. It's at, was it 23? It might go up. Maybe he averages 20 points. That's true. But there's a risk of defensive scheme impacting his defensive numbers, dropping them down. And if instead of playing 37 minutes a night, when you've got Kevin Porter who can play some point guard, and surely they'll want to get some reps to a man Thompson, as a point guard as well. And again, nearly no team plays guys these minutes 
apart from Tom Thibodeau and Nick Nurse. I think he's talking to you. Sorry, that was just a delay to Mend Thompson drop. I don't know why I did that. Um, now, Imi Udoka played some decent minutes to his players back in Boston, but I would say if we're going to set the minutes for Fred Van Vliet, we look at 35 or maybe 34, especially given some of his injury problems and his size and the fact that you've got other capable guys who can handle that role. He's not. I'm not saying he's playing 30 a night or 32 or 33. It might be 35 minutes a night. Still a good number. But 37 to 35 without a absolutely super clear, gigantic bump in usage and an iffy defensive situation in terms of can those numbers come, I don't really see how Van Vliet maintains. I think he's dropping. I think he's dropping. Let's go to another player who was in Washington, another player who was traded, and another player whose stock is going to go down, and that's Bradley Beal. Beal was 39th in minus one rank last season, 99th in total. He's missed a ton of games. Hamstring issues. 37.8 fantasy points. He's 30. He moves to Phoenix. I see... Look, the total numbers will probably jump up. He'll probably play more games, but there's no guarantee in that. He's had a lot of injuries. Some of them are fake because of the tanking in Washington, and so some of those games played are definitely fake. Fake, 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 fake. But I'm not telling you he's a paragon of health. He's not. He's 30, and now he goes to a team where he was the number one usage option until Porzingis got more of that when Bill went out to the third guy in Phoenix. And... You haven't seen the show yet, but it is coming out next week about correlations with fantasy production. Usage is one of the big correlations, especially in points leagues. More usage, more fantasy points. That is the way it works. More usage, generally, better fantasy rank. So he's losing usage. Now, his efficiency might jump up because it's been pretty bad. That's true, but that's usually not enough to offset a usage drop. It's usually not enough. Beal might get more assists, but he was getting plenty of assists in Washington. I just can't see a way that his numbers go up. And given he was 39th, like, is he even a top 50 player next season? I, I really, really have my doubts. I don't think I'd be wanting to take him in that area. Again, don't know yet. A lot of things still to happen. But that's where we sit with him. But he was the third best player from last season who has, who has changed teams at the time of me recording this. Another player who was traded, actually as a part of the same deal. Actually, a part of another deal as well. Chris Paul. He moves from Phoenix via Washington to Golden State. Paul is 38 years of age. We all know this. He was minus one ranked 47th last season, 73rd in total. So actually, more valuable totals than Beal, eight years older. He averaged 36 fantasy points. But he goes to Golden State now. So... I look, maybe he starts. Maybe it's Paul, Curry, Clay, Wiggins, Dre. There'll be plenty of nights off for Paul and for Curry and for Clay and maybe Draymond. But also, we also thought the same thing last year and they were so bad that they couldn't afford to do that. So they didn't. And Jordan Poole, Chris Paul moves into Jordan Poole's slot in the rotation, but they didn't really start Poole that often. They're very different players, obviously. And in order to get the best out of a 38-year-old Chris Paul, I don't think you can play in the same minutes that you did last season. In fact, I'm not even sure that Chris Paul's a top 100 player next season. Don't know yet. But would they start him with Draymond at center or they go with Looney? I'm not sure. Would they start Kaminga and Draymond together instead of Chris Paul and Paul runs the bench unit, plays 25 a night, 60 games? 
They brought Corey Joseph in today for some reason. I don't know. Gary Payton's still there. Paul was the fourth best player to so, so far change teams last season. There's almost no way that he's a top 100. Well, not almost, but there's no way. For, at 47th, there's no way I'd take him there. No way I'd take him in the third, fourth, fifth, or sixth round. I might consider it in the 90s, especially if we get more clarity on what his role is. But overall, this is really a big fade, I think, on Chris Paul and his value next season. Now let's get to some players whose stock went up from last year. And again, it's a part of the same deal. Because Jordan Poole moves from Golden State to Washington as part of the Chris Paul deal. He's only 24, and despite some struggles last season, he was 84th in minus one rank. He was 35th in minus one totals. And he averaged 30 and a half fantasy points. On this Wizards team, he is going to lead the team in usage. And if he doesn't hit 33 usage, him and Kuzma will fight over it. If he doesn't hit 33 usage, I think I'm going to be pretty surprised. If he got an average 27 points per game, I wouldn't be surprised. If he goes 27, 4 and 4, or 4 and 5, with a steal, with four threes, 90% from the line on five attempts, maybe shooting 41 from the field, uh, that could be realistic. In minus one value, when you know you're punting field goals with him, that's probably a third-round player. I don't know that yet. I haven't broken it down, but that's probably where it is. So I will probably do another show at some point late July of who the biggest winners are overall over the offseason. We've seen more stuff happen. He's got to be one of them. He was the fifth-best player on this list. Fifth-best player on this list last season. Yep. Um, but And the first one who's going to gain value. And I don't really think there's any argument in that. His fantasy points, 30.5. They should smash through 40, I would guess. Probably probably close to a top 25 fantasy points guy, I would guess, next season. And he's only 24. So there's plenty of room for him to still actually get better. Despite some of the uh, playoff issues. It's going to be a huge guy to watch in terms of what his ADP comes out at. This next one, I wasn't... Um, I don't know. I wasn't really sure how to view it. Marcus Smart. He was 104th last season in minus one ranks. 121st in totals. He averaged 28 fantasy points. He's 29. He goes from Boston to Memphis. I think that his stock has gone up. And I'll tell you why that is. Last season, he started most games playing next to Tatum and Brown, the big usage players on that team. But there was still Derek White. There was still Malcolm Brogdon there who were touching the ball quite a bit. He goes to Memphis where he will start undeniably. He will start the beginning of the season with Ja Morant out as their starting point guard. Not really sure who they're going to start in the other slot because Dylan Brooks is gone. So it'd be Smart and Bain. I would guess next to Bain and Jaron that Smart fits in as third usage option, pushing second on some nights. Bain and Jackson are clearly, well, probably Bain's going to be that. Bain might run 30 usage to begin the season, I think, in Memphis. Smart is going to be in a pretty great role early on. But when Jar does come back, Smart, I don't think he's moving to the bench. That would, wouldn't really make any sense to me. He will then fill the Dylan Brooks role, who is the guy that would start next to Bain and Morant. Smart, we know, can guard ones, twos, and threes, even fours. He can handle the ball as a secondary playmaker. 
Sometimes he can shoot threes and he can defend really well. They've got some weird guys to sort of watch in terms of who might jump into a position that is vacated by Dylan Brooks when Morant is spent, suspended. Like there's some, there's a, weirdly some hype about LaRavia. I like Jake LaRavia as a draft pick last season, um, but really disappointed. Luke Kennard probably is the guy that starts, to be honest, one jar is out. But Smart is going to have the upper hand over both of those players once Jaron returns. Oh, sorry, once Jar returns. And while his value, he's 104th last year, Smart, he might be 60th while Jar is out. He might be 81st, or, geez, that was a specific number, 81st, 85th, big Terrell Owens guy here, um, when Jar returns. I find it hard to think that his full season production is going to be worse than what it was last season when he's going to smash through the first third of the season with bigger numbers. And even when this team is fully healthy, his role actually might be more favorable than what it was in Boston last season. And the last guy I'm going to talk about, I had a few people asking me, hey, I don't think you've really discussed the John Collins deal. I think I did somewhere. I think I talked about it somewhere. But I'll talk about it again now. I think John Collins' stock is up. This is a guy that three years ago, three, three years ago, was a top 20 sort of a player. Now, when they made those moves to acquire uh, Dino Gallinari, it was at the time, and I think Bogdanovich, he was, people were drafting him at the turn of the first and second round. I was massively out on that. I think I had him down in the 40s and ended up being correct on it. But he's just getting consistently worse and worse and worse. So that was with Gallinari and Capallo arriving too. Now, he's never, I don't think, getting back to that number, but he's only 26. He was 119th in minus one last season. He averaged 26 and a half fantasy points. He really struggled. His shot went from 36% from three down to 29% from three. Big dip. I expect him going to Utah that he starts next to Larry Markkinen, next to Walker Kessler, taking the Kelly Linux starting role. He probably doesn't play 34 minutes a night. He might play 31 or 32. But in Atlanta, we saw Trey and DeJounte just absolutely dominate usage. And yes, Markkinen and Clarkson are there. Markkinen wasn't a 30 usage guy. He was like 25 last season. He wasn't that high. So Collins can get a couple more shot attempts, maybe a little bit more creativity from Will Hardy in the offense. And if the shot starts to make a little bit more sense, maybe he plays 32 minutes a night. And maybe Kelly Linick gets moved at some point and Collins gets some backup center minutes, which bumps his field goals, bumps his block rate up. I find it hard to think that John Collins will be worse than what he was last season. And I would have no problem on saying this July 3rd, my time, drafting John Collins in the top 100. I wouldn't go to top 50, but we will see when the numbers come out. This isn't the same Jazz team as last season where big opportunities arose for Olenek, in particular Markkinen, and I was you know, 40 spots ahead of uh, ADP data on Markkinen, and it worked out. And I don't know where Collins is going to end up draft-wise, draft ADP. But I think he's going to step up, and I'd find it hard... I'd be hard-pressed to find an argument that would suggest that he's going to be worse than what he was last season. So they're my top seven players. Not mine. They are the objective top seven players who change teams from last year's fantasy ranks. There's more free agent stuff coming tomorrow, talking about teams that got worse, teams that got better. And that can be an idea as well. Hey, you view the players on those teams. Fantasy-wise, teams that usually get better, guys can get squeezed. Teams that get worse, some players can step up. So we're going to do that tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. Follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. Well, on YouTube, thumb it up. Leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone.
Sehr.